1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to be looking this morning, as we, as we work through the month of February, we're going to be looking at the events um, in the last times. There's a lot of talk about the last days. Are these the last days that we are in? There are those who will try to identify specific people in our times, and this has happened throughout history. They try to identify certain people with certain people that are in prophecy. They try to identify certain events. Now, we, we do know that these prophecies are going to come to pass, but there is a danger in trying to identify in our, in our moment who these people are and what's going to take place. And so we, we have to be very careful about that. It is not uncommon for people to want to identify when the Lord is going to return. Despite the fact that Jesus said, no man knows the day, the hour, or the minute, there have been those who have been convinced that they know otherwise. I'm, I'm amazed that Jesus says even the Son of Man, even he didn't know it when he was here on earth what the time of his return was going to be. Yet there are people who think, well, I can figure it out. Jesus didn't know, but God's going to reveal it to me. Let me tell you something. If, if God didn't tell it to the Son of Man, don't think he told it to any other man or woman, as I was told, reminded last week. I want to get everybody in on this. They said, if you, you know, no man knows the hour, so ask your wife. Well, um, your wife may think she knows when Jesus is coming back, and if you don't straighten up some of it, your wife may send you to Jesus, but that's a whole, <laughs> a whole other story. But people have begun in the early centuries, in the early church, there were those who tried to predict when Christ was going to return. They would pick a date, and there were some who said he's coming back in 500 A.D. One man predicted 500 A.D. based on the dimensions of Noah's Ark. Now, I'm not quite sure. Don't, don't come up to me afterwards trying to get me to explain that. I don't really know how you take the dimensions of Noah's Ark and turn them into a particular date for Christ's return, but he did. Other people would use mathematics. Other people used, um, used astronomy. Some people, uh, just they would try to base, this, base it on the Bible, but they would pick a date. Even up into recent days, we've had people who tried to pick dates about when Jesus was going to come back. Uh, many of you, of those of us who survived the 80s, will remember the man who wrote the book, 88 Reasons. How many of y'all remember that book? 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming in 1988. And of course, Jesus didn't come back in 1988, so he came back the next year and wrote his sequel to that, 89 Reasons Why I Got It Wrong Last Year. No, it wasn't his title, but it's 89 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming in 89. He tried two more times and finally passed away in the early 2000s, and Jesus still had not come back. And Yet we still have people, the man in California several years ago, you'll remember, that was on the radio saying Jesus is coming back in this year, and he didn't come back. And some predicted that he would come back in 2020, and some have predicted he will come back this year. How many of you after 2020 are hoping he comes back in 2021? 2024, 25, 29, and of course my, my personal favorite is the guy that said in 2007, he's going to come back sometime between now and 2057, 50-year window there. Uh, that's, that's the way I like my prediction. It's gonna, you know, there's going to be weather tomorrow. That's my weather forecast. It's gonna, there's going to be something that's going to take place tomorrow. And, of course, in the words of that great theologian, Vice President Dan Quayle, we've got to be prepared for any unforeseen events that may or may not occur. You know what is scary? Most of y'all laugh, but a few of though that actually made sense to you. I'm not quite certain what I think about that. 
The problem with these kind of predictions is that it causes cynicism, even among believers, doesn't it? You reach the point where you hear so much about prophecy and so much about the end times and so much about the rapture that you almost just reach the point you say, I'm tired of hearing about it. Why? Because there are people who go to an unhealthy extreme about it. They have an unhealthy obsession with the end times. They've got the, the books and the charts and the videos and the DVDs and um, you know, they've got all the materials that tell you exactly when this is going to happen and this, this is going to take place. And they become obsessed with it even to the point of predicting. And it causes us to be cynical. We, we're almost embarrassed to talk about what is a, a powerful biblical truth. On the other hand, there are those who will go to an unhelpful um, disregard for end times. They've reached the point where they'll say, well, you know, I think it's just a waste of time, so I'm not going to talk about it at all. And in doing so, they ignore a significant biblical truth. They, in fact, as we'll see this morning, they're ignoring a significant portion of the gospel. Jesus Christ said to his disciples, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, and lo, I am with you until the end of the world. Your job is not done until the end of the world comes. So the end, when the rapture takes place, it means that's the end of God's task for us here on this earth. And until he comes, we've got a task to do. We've got a job to do. So we can't get caught up with the crowd that wants to go sit up on the mountaintop and wait for Jesus to come back because we've got our charts and we've predicted the 50-year window that he's going to come back. Neither can we go to the other extreme where we ignore what Scripture clearly talks about. It's not just the end of the, of the end of the work of the church. It's the end, as we'll see later. It's the end of God's work in us. It is a part of the gospel work of redemption in us for God to glorify his children. And my salvation is not complete until the day when the rapture takes place. What is the rapture? Some people will say, well, the word rapture is not found in the Bible. Well, neither is the word gravity, but everybody in the Scriptures was held to the ground by gravity. There are principles that are in Scripture that their name may not be there. We don't find the word trinity. We don't find many of the concepts that we talk about. The word rapture simply means to snatch away quickly. And it's the description of what says, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4 is going to take place when Christ returns. Now, there needs to be a distinction between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ. There's about 15 different distinctions we would make, and I promise you that I'm not going to go through all 15 this morning. But one of the significant differences is that in the rapture, Christ comes back and we meet him in the air. In the second coming, Christ will come back to this earth. In the rapture, Christ comes back for his church. It's the bridegroom coming back for his bride. He comes back for believers. In the second coming, he comes back with the believers in a time of judgment, a time of justice. So what we're talking about this morning is the next event on God's prophetic timetable, and that is the snatching away of the church. We that are alive shall be called up. That's where we get the word rapture, that snatching away, that catching up that, God was, that Christ is going to do when he returns for his church. It's a biblical truth. So I want you to see this morning, here's, here's what I want to see take place in our hearts and minds this morning. 
for us to come away from this time in God's Word, one, with a renewed passion about this event. Now, I don't want you to go to the extreme of being obsessed with it, but we need a renewed heart for Christ's return. There needs to be a spirit of anticipation among God's people that Jesus Christ could come back at any moment. And I want us to have that, with that anticipation, a changed way of life. Because I'm convinced that while many of us will say we believe Jesus is coming back, most of us, I don't know about most, but many of us don't live like Jesus Christ is coming back. We don't share the gospel. We're not concerned about our lost friends and family like Jesus could come back at any moment. We're not living a holy life like Jesus could come back at any moment. We're not engaged and invested in his sanctifying work in making us like Christ like we should be if Jesus Christ could come back at any moment. How are we, how are we to live? How do, we, how do we prepare? What is our, our heart in this? Well, we are to work as if Christ could come back tomorrow. What would you do today? What would you do today if you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow? I remember working for a man, and sometimes he would, he would go off and he would leave jobs and tasks for us to do. And he would say, if you finish this one, here's another one that you could do. And if you finish this one, here's another one that you can do. And while he was gone, he would be back. And we didn't know exactly when he was coming back, but we knew he was coming back. And we would try to get that work completed because especially when we knew the time was getting closer and we were working through those projects and those tasks that he had given to us. So what would we do? We should work as if Jesus is coming back tomorrow. We should plan as if he's not coming back for 100 years. What do I mean by that? There are those who will say, well, Jesus is coming back, so why are we doing this and why should we do this? We should only focus on certain tasks. Let me tell you, Jesus said, occupy until I come back. Occupy until I come. What does that mean? That means we are to be about the work. We are to be carrying on the work. That is why we as a church will continue to invest, and we will continue to invest in gospel ministry, ones that will potentially outlast our lifetime. That's why we will work toward, in the near future, having a children's building so that children can hear the gospel and so they can be trained so when they become adults and when they become students and adults, they'll be able to share the gospel and they'll be able to do the work. And that's why we'll continue to care for our buildings and our, our, our parking lot and uh, we'll continue to build a church in Africa. Wait, wait a minute, you're going to build a building and, and Christ could come back at any moment? What if he comes back right after we finish that building? Well, then he'll find that we were faithful occupying until he came back. We plan as if he's not going to come back in our lifetime. But then we live as if he could come back at any moment. At any moment. That before this service is over, before this sermon is done, that Christ could come back. If Christ comes back before this sermon is over, Pastor Chuck, would you come and finish the sermon for me? That... I'm sorry, I'm, I'm so sorry. We'll believe in a split rapture at that point. We'll change our eschatology. Jesus Christ could come back at any moment. Are we ready? As we look at our text this morning in 
then some scriptures around. There's really, there's three primary scriptures. Now, there's many. There's probably 15 or 20 specific texts that we could look at. Really, every, every writer in the New Testament, almost every book talks about the coming of Christ, either the rapture or the second coming. Uh, we, could, we could look at many of those. One we looked at last week, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, talks about the rapture. John chapter 14 is another that you should go and read. You know the first several verses. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come again. And if I come again, I will receive you unto myself. That's the rapture that's taking place. And then here, this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Follow with me as I read from verse 51. In this chapter where Paul has talked about the primacy of the resurrection to the gospel message and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But then also he begins to talk about how we will be resurrected. Behold, verse 51, I show you a mystery, a truth that has not previously been revealed in completion. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. That's, that's less than a second. It's just the blinking of an eye, the fluttering of an eye. At the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, forasmuch as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The first century of believers were as intrigued as people are today about Christ's return. And so Paul is going to give them instruction. I want you to see, first of all, what we need to know from the Scriptures and what the Scriptures tells us about this event is the truth of the rapture, the truth of Christ's return. First of all, it is sure. There is no, perhaps, other event in prophecy that has as many promises that it's going to take place. Those who will say, why is this important? Let me tell you, if for no other reason, it is a, it is a strong Bible theme. If we're going to preach the whole counsel of God, if we're going to understand the Scriptures, then we need to understand this prophecy. We need to understand this event. It is sure. We have the promises in the Old Testament of the resurrection all the way back to Moses. You remember, there are those who say, well, the Old Testament doesn't talk about the resurrection. And yet Jesus quotes Moses when Moses said he is the God of the, he's the God of the living. Jesus said he was talking about the resurrection. And Job, one of the earliest, possibly the earliest account in scriptures, says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the latter day he shall stand upon the earth. God gave it to the Old Testament prophets. He gave it to the New Testament writers. Throughout the New Testament, there's promise after promise and reference after reference to the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back. We have the, the promise of Scripture. We have the angels. What did the angels say in Acts chapter 1 to the disciples? 
Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus whom you've seen taken up in heaven will come again in like manner as you have seen him go. Beyond that, we have the promise of the Spirit. Paul says in Ephesians that we have the earnest of the Holy Spirit, whereby we are sealed unto the day of redemption. What is the day of redemption? It's the day when Jesus Christ is going to come back and he is going to take his purchased possession to himself. That's the day of redemption. And so the Holy Spirit is a promised down payment that what God begins, God will finish. Aren't you glad that what began in grace will end in glory? You can mark it down. Whatever in Scripture, whatever begins in grace will always end in glory. And what God began in my redemption began in grace. And when he comes for me again, it will end in glory. I've got the verse on my heart, and I know I'm going to get to it before. I've got it in my notes at the very end. But I'm, I'm tanking right now on that verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 where he says we are, we are promised by the Spirit that we will obtain glory in Christ Jesus. That's the promise that we have. That's what we have to look forward to. The promise of the Scriptures, but most importantly, we know Jesus is coming back, and it's sure and certain because Jesus himself said, I will come again. If I had no other promises, if I had no other Scriptures, all I need is the word of Jesus Christ, that he's coming back. We know that it's sure. The Bible also tells us that it is going to be sudden. It's going to be a surprise. It's going to be quick. In fact, it's the word we use is the word imminent. It means, the, the word imminent means it's hanging overhead. To sort of paraphrase it, it means that it could happen at any moment. It could happen at any moment. The scriptures are clear on this aspect of Christ's return. Now, the second coming of Christ, there are signs that point toward that. And Jesus talks about that in Matthew 24. He says, when you see the signs, and he's talking about Christ's second coming. But the coming of Christ in the rapture, the the taking out of his bride, he says it comes like a thief in the night. And you don't know. You don't know when it's going to happen. A.T. Pearson described imminent as being a combination of certainty and uncertainty. It is an event that is certain to happen, but it is uncertain when it will happen. And that's the way the rapture is. The coming of Christ for his church is a certain event. It will happen. Jesus said, I will come again and receive you into myself. But it is uncertain when it will take place. I don't know about you, but that that causes me to want to live ready for his return. That Jesus could come back at any moment. That's why he says, don't live. He said, we're not of the night, so we shouldn't live. It should not overtake us as a thief. We ought to be prepared. We ought to be ready. Why? Because we know it's going to happen. And we know that it can take place at any given moment. It will be sudden. But though the Bible is clear that we cannot know the time, it does tell us some truths about the time of the rapture. What is is going to take place in the rapture? At some moment, the trumpet of God is going to sound. What that sounds like, I don't know. I was talking with one of our students um, actually this week, and they were talking about playing the trumpet. And I always wanted to play the trumpet. 
I, I'm envious of you guys and play instruments. God bless you. I love you, but I, I hate the fact that y'all play better than I do and play more than I do. I always wanted to play the trumpet, and somebody, somebody told me one time, they looked at my mouth, and they said, my, your mouth is not shaped right to play a trumpet. I had a cornet for, a, what, a week? And Lynn said, your mouth is not shaped to play a trumpet. I sounded terrible, but I've always wanted to play the trumpet. And, you know, that beautiful, that beautiful sound as... Well, I can't wait to hear it. I can't wait to hear what the trump of God is going to sound like, the last trump. And then the voice of the archangel is going to call, and the dead in Christ are going to rise first. I was talking with someone last week after the early service about this, and they were were talking about people asking them questions about how this takes place, about how to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And yet when Christ comes back, how this body is going to come out of the grave. You know, many of the bodies that are in the grave are no longer in the grave. Let's just, I'm not trying to be ugly and crude or, or disgusting, but bodies don't stay in the grave. How are they going to be, how is this going to take place? Where are those bodies? The same, the same God that formed them to start with, that formed man out of the, the dust of the earth, will be able to reform that body. Someone told the story, I believe it was Chuck Swindoll, I heard telling the story about Roger Williams, the founder of Rhode Island. And when Roger Williams died, they buried him and they planted an apple tree at the head of his grave. When they dug up later, they found that the body had decomposed and they discovered that, of course, the nutrients that were Roger Williams had gone into the soil. And the nutrients in the soil had gone into the apple tree. And, of course, the nutrients in the apple tree went into the apples. And people ate the apples. (laughs) Where's Roger? (laughs) I want to tell you that this tells me that the corruptible is going to do what? Put on incorruption. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. My body stays here, but my spiritual being goes to be with Christ. The book of Genesis says that when Rachel died, her soul departed. Her body was still here. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And when Christ comes back, when that trumpet sounds, and the voice of the archangel, then they that were sleeping, asleep in Christ will he bring with him, First Thessalonians says. And he will bring those souls back. And as I believe it was W.A. Criswell that said, they will make a U-turn through the grave. They will come back and they will be raised incorruptible. And our bodies at some point, are we're going to put off corruption and put on incorruption. We're going to put off mortality and we're going to put on immortality. And as they sang just a moment ago, I'll have a new body. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad? Some of you have been through some challenges physically here lately. You've been through sicknesses. Some have had the COVID virus. Others have had, been in the hospital. And we put up with the aches and pains. And we'll put up with it no longer. Because that body will be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. That's what's going to take place. And we don't know when, but we do know something about the time. Scripture tells us something about that time. The Bible tells us quickly that it's going to be a time of great abominations. 
First Timothy chapter 2 says that, Know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves more than lovers of God. Or we live in a time, you read later that passage through that, that chapter, and you will see that we are living in a time of great wickedness. But I want to tell you this morning, don't be surprised, because if Christ doesn't come back soon, it can get much worse than it is. We live in a day when we look around our nation and we see things that some of us never imagined. Not only that we would see taking place, but that we would see affirmed and celebrated and forced upon others. That's the great abominations. And in fact, the great abominations that will be taking place will lead to a great apathy. It's a time of great apathy. Jesus said, because iniquity will abound, the love of many will wax cold. Isn't it amazing that we live in such a time of wickedness and many Christians just don't even seem to care? Our, our love for Christ has grown cold. Our love for Christ has grown weak. And instead of caring about it, we're just completely happy. We've, we've gotten satisfied living in this world. You know, we used to sing a lot of songs about heaven. We used to sing a lot of songs about Christ coming back. I believe that when times are hard and this world isn't attractive to us, we're thinking about heaven and we're looking for Christ to return. But when things start going well and times are good, we tend to focus on other things. I want to tell you that this will be a time in which we need to focus our hearts and minds on Jesus Christ coming back. It's a time of great apathy. It's also going to be a time of great apostasy. The Bible is clear. There will be a denial. I could give you the scriptures with these, but there's going to be a denial of God. People will deny Christ. They'll deny Christ's return. There'll be those who deny the faith, denying sound doctrine, denying a separated life, denying morals, denying authority. Sound much like the day in which we live? There's a day of apostasy. But I think also it needs to be a day of great anticipation. A day when God's people are looking for Christ to return. I don't mean that we need to walk outside. I was thinking this week about the song, Lift Your Eyes, look, Turn Your Eyes Upon the, and the Eastern Skies. And every once in a while I just look over to the, to the sky in the east and you know, it doesn't mean that we walk around constantly checking the sky, but we are to live with an anticipation that this is the time that Christ could come back. An awareness, a constant awareness that this could be the day. I don't know about you, but I'd love for it to be the day. I'd love for this to be the day when we go to be with Christ. And that brings us to the truth that this passage draws our minds to, and I think this is the most important, and that is that we are to focus on the blessed transformation of the rapture. What is going to take place in this rapture? This is more than just getting, this is more than just a rescue operation. This is more than just um, a celestial Dunkirk where the, the boats are going to come in and we're going to get snatched out and we're going to get taken away at just the, just the last moment. This is a transformation that will take place. Look in verse 51. We shall not all sleep. We shall not all die. Some of us are going to be alive when this takes place. But we shall all be changed. 
Look at verse 52, the very last phrase. We shall be changed. There are three blessings to this transformation. The first is a resurrection, and that's what Paul is talking about in this chapter. That the same God, the same power that resurrected Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday morning is the same power that will resurrect our dead bodies should we sleep in Jesus, should we die before Christ returns. That's the reason we have hope, that death is not the end. Death doesn't get the final word. Death is not the final word. And when a body lies in that casket and we see that loved one, that's not the end. And the resurrection reminds us of that hope. First Thessalonians says the dead in Christ will rise first. That's the first thing that's going to take place. They that sleep in Jesus will be raised. But not only is there the resurrection, there's the rapture. There's the snatching away. Then we who are alive, then we that remain shall be called up. We shall be raptured up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. We're going to be transformed and changed. And we're going to be raptured up. But then the third blessing of this transformation is the blessing of redemption. The blessedness of redemption. Because this is going to be the completion of our salvation. This is going to be, you remember what Paul said in Philippians chapter 1? He who began a good work in you will continue it until when? The day of redemption. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that even we that are saved, along with the fallen creation, are groaning for that adoption to wit the redemption of the body. My soul has been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, but this body has not yet been redeemed. One of these days when that rapture takes place, when Christ comes back, then my redemption is going to be completed. And the good work that he began is going to be ended. And the justification that took place when I trusted in Christ as my Savior and the ongoing sanctification that is taking place now will end in glorification. And that's the transformation that's going to happen. That's the completion that's going to happen. Yes, I am excited, especially for my brothers and sisters who are suffering physically. I am glad that you'll have a new body. I'm glad that you're going to be freed from the pain and the suffering and the aches and the groans and the moans that you experience. But I want you to know that that new body is more than just deliverance from pain. That new body is the completion of the gospel work in my life and in yours. And that